drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? cold morning where you can smell the dew and the overnight frost makes the grass look silver. You can hear it crunch a little bit under your foot. Two chestnut horses shake the flies out of their eyes. They flick their tails gently as they're led into a paddock. They wait patiently as the men leading them stop to open the gate. Humans and horses have shared a special connection for thousands of years. More recently, their calming nature has been shown to be beneficial for our own mental health. Scott Brody knows this well. He's the director of Horse Aid, which rehabilitates both Australian veterans and ex-race horses. His program is the focus of the new documentary, The Healing. G'day, Scott. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm well. I just wonder what you think is so special about the connection between humans and horses. Horses are very, very honest and they don't lie. When you work with a horse, they know exactly the sort of frame of mind that you have and the, um, the sort of person that you are. And so that puts us in a position where we need to be honest with ourselves or be able to adjust ourselves to be able to, to get the best result that we can from horses. There's a connection that we have with horses when we work with them that basically, uh, you know, neural pathways that work in our brain you know, work through the brain and we make decisions and those pathways basically pass through our bodies and through our bodies they're felt by the horse and they pass into the horse's brain. And, you know, when we work together with a horse and we work together at a certain level, basically those two brains come together. I don't think there's any other animal in the world or any other pair of animals in the world that, that, that work together on such an intimate level as, as humans with horses when we reach a certain level. There's some interesting scientific research to back up that connection for those that might feel like it's somehow ephemeral or abstract. And, and you've got participants who are really dealing with some of the worst challenges that come, uh, that come with PTSD, some that work, uh, 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 who were working as first responders or they've left the police or the defence forces. What similarities have you noticed between the X-race horses that you look after and the veterans that you also help? Well, I mean, there, are, there are obvious parallels in that the both of them are trained for a specific purpose. They're trained to a ridiculously high level. They become very, very good at what they do. And then at the end of their careers, a lot of the things that they've been taught to do are superfluous to the rest of their lives. So uh, it's very, very important that they are either, to, I guess, to a point unsoldiered 
or unraced as in relation to the horses. Um, they come out, you know, highly, highly tuned um, with incredible um, uh, sensitivity to their environment in lots of different ways. And so they need to have all that sort of toned down so that they can get to the point where they can survive in, on the normal day-to-day life. This therapy uh, has also been applied in your work at correctional centres. What's the benefit for inmates? What skills are they learning that they can use uh, back on the inside? Well, they learn they learn, learn imp- empathy for certainty and they learn responsibility. They learn that they, they are responsible for another being and that they need to uh, – do the things that need to be done to keep that being safe. Uh, empathy is an important thing, obviously an important thing for a lot of the inmates to learn. It's interesting that my experience is that the inmates, when they get involved in, in these type of programs, um, take a serious responsibility for the way the programs are run. And without without the inmates and their passion for what they do, the programs wouldn't run anywhere as near as smoothly as they do. So, you know, and, and from that uh, they're learning skills that are going to put them in a position to be able to gain employment once they get out of out of prison. And I've seen some really good horsemen come out of our program. But I've also seen people that come out of the program that don't go on to work with horses but uh, now have a good work ethic and go on to be successful in, in other, in other um, jobs and, and they're able to get their lives back on track again. I want to talk about the effect on the horses themselves because – uh, I suppose it would be a mistake to think that all horses coming from racing might have the same kinds of treatment. Perhaps they do. I don't know. But, you know, this is a two-way street, it, it seems. So talk to me about the passage or the changes that you notice in these ex-race horses that you, uh, that you look after. Well, interesting. When they, when they first come from racing, they lack a lot of social skills as horses because basically – from the time they leave their mothers, they're isolated in that they're kept away from other horses so that they don't hurt each other, basically. Uh, they're too valuable to have running with other horses. So they don't learn social skills, the normal social skills that a horse learns in a, in a, in a herd environment. And so often when we first bring them out, when they come out of racing, we like to put them in a, in a situation where they're with other horses that can teach them some social skills. And in that first period, they get bitten, they get kicked. Life's pretty tough. They don't understand that when a horse puts its ears back or turns its bum towards you, that it means you're about to get hurt. Um, and over a period of time, I think sort of three to six months, they learn that. And gradually you see that less and less they have these bite marks and kick marks all over them. And you can see that they're now starting to get an understanding of how to be social. Unfortunately, you know, they, they miss some stuff there that they should have learned when they were younger. And so some of that, you know, there's always some baggage that they carry as they go through. I find that in my experience, there are about half a dozen different types of horses that come out of racing, and they, you know, they're treated very similarly in racing, but they all have uh, different psyches. So, um, how they interact with their handlers, and usually, often they're interacting with lots of different handlers, particularly in some of the biggest stables. They aren't necessarily ridden by the same person every day, or handled by the same person every day. So, they don't normally form the relationships that they might form with people after they come out of racing. They do get very, very good at reading uh, human body language and horses basically survive on body language, but they get very good at reading human body language because they have more to do with humans than they do with horses in that racing period. And then when they come out, you know, as I said, there are varying varying issues that, that they face and, and I sort of a- analyse what those issues are. Sometimes there are a couple of different issues that may cross over. 
and analyze what those issues are and then go about finding problem-solving techniques to help the horses work through those issues. I'm curious to know more about the horse's perception of human body language because for those who aren't familiar with horses, they can be seen as quite intimidating. They're large, they're powerful. Uh, perhaps the perception is that they're unpredictable. So how, how do you go about helping someone relax around a horse that might be nervous? Well, I make sure I never put anybody in a dangerous situation to start with. Um, I make sure that we're in a position to be able to control where the horse is and, and give good, really good um instruction and examples of how we're going to do the work that we're going to do. Um, I, it's, everybody's different. Every person that comes in contact with a horse is different and every horse that comes in contact with people are different and, and even the combinations are different. We can have the same horse and five different people and that we're going to get five different results. So there's a, there's a lot of experience in, in what we do and there's obviously a, um, quite a, a unique skill set in being able to read the horses and read the people and then you know gradually teaching the people how to go about reading horses there are some very basic things that that we can um, recognize when we're working with horses you can recognize very quickly whether or not they're confused or whether they're starting to get an understanding of of what we do based on their body language and there's no doubt horses read our body language just as clearly just tension in the shoulders can be enough to make a horse you know not want to be involved with someone sometimes you'll get um, male soldiers, and I'm going to generalise here a little bit, that come into the arena as macho men with this wooden sort of approach and hard shoulders and standing upright and horses sort of look at them and go, well, that's not how people act on a day-to-day basis and that doesn't work for me. And then you'll get people that come in, they're a little bit passive or maybe, you know, incredibly passive and horses won't work with them either. Horses are looking for confident, um, fair leaders so it teaches us to be uh, to be good leaders and it teaches us to regulate our energy levels so that we can get to a point where the horse is reading the right body language from us and if we can do that and stay in a relaxed way then we can uh, we can read the uh, body language of the horses as well it really sounds to me like horses have taught you more about your species than other humans have have i got that right <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from horses. I learn a lot every time we run another program with the veterans or do another day with veterans. And nearly every day that I work with horses, and I work with horses every day, I learn something new. I learn something about myself. I learn something about them. I learn something about other people. Um, there's a lot to be gained from working with horses. I'm, I'd love to see everybody have the opportunity that I had, you know. And obviously, you've not got to live it to be able to do that. But, uh, yeah, I've learned, I've learned a lot from horses, no doubt about it. If you just join me on RN Drive, Scott Brody's my guest. He's the director of Horse Aid. I want to ask you about this idea of natural horsemanship. You're an advocate of uh, the techniques therein. What, what does it actually mean? So what we're trying to do is utilise the commun- communication um, methods or techniques that horses use amongst themselves in the wild and, and take advantage of their, their natural instincts and the way that they act in the wild to be able to create a way to communicate with horses, I sort of feel like there's a – well, I find um, utilising the, the herd mentality and herd behaviour and, and, and putting ourselves in the position of other horses allows us to communicate with horses very well. I have sort of find that we need to find this language that's somewhere in the middle, somewhere between what humans speak and what horses speak. So horses need to come to terms a little bit with the way we communicate as well. And I've sort of coined it as a equilingua franca, so lingua franca being a, 
a common language used by two people of different languages and add the equine in there and now we've got a language that can be spoken by horses and people. So, you know, that's basically what it comes down to. When I train horses, I train them a certain way and I train them to understand certain cues. And when I train people, I teach them to understand those same cues and to apply those cues. And if you put the two together, then they can have a pretty clear conversation. There's news out this morning showing that a horse is being killed on an Australian racetrack every two days. As someone in contact with horses at the end of their racing career, do you think we need to rethink uh, horse racing as a as a sport as an and as an industry so that we're not just so that we're getting more welfare really to the horses at the end of their lives, which is where you come in? Yeah, look, I think racing um, organisations are getting better and better at doing that. I think society demands it, and rightly so. Um, I, I hate to hear of a horse dying on the track. It's, that, that hurts me. And, um, and I think, you know, most people in general, reasonable people would feel the same way, and largely so do the racing industry. So, yes, there's a lot of money to be made in the racing industry. The people that are involved at the grassroots level uh, do have care for the horses. And uh, I, as I said, I feel like most um, racing organisations are now starting to put a bit more effort into welfare and what happens to the horses at the end of the day. And, and you know, I've, I've been involved in that in a big way and initially with the racing industry, but now off my, you know, off my own battle with our, our charity Horse Aid. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that, that I maintain being a part of that. And, uh, and, and it's good to see that, again, that the racing industry are putting some effort into that, in, definitely in Australia anyway. Scott Brody's been my guest. You can see him in the new documentary, The Healing. It's directed by Nick Barkler. It's uh, opening night is next Monday the 30th. Good to talk to you, Scott. Thanks very much. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.